Welcome to the Sports and Stilettos podcast. Hey everybody, Rachel V. Hill here. If you've been following along with the podcast for the last couple of months, then you probably realize that I didn't upload an episode last week. I felt that it was important to allow the voices of Black Lives Matters to be heard. I stand in support all to bring equality to this world. However, today on the podcast, we are joined by NFL Network reporter MJ Acosta. MJ showcases just how important it is to be yourself and to be a go-getter. Bear with me on this episode, please. We did experience some technical difficulties with audio. However, I wanted to put out all the great advice that MJ gave me and other women in the industry. I hope you all enjoy this episode. MJ, thank you so much for joining me today. How is quarantine life? I know you've been busy. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, quarantine life, I'm over it, if I'm honest with you, but um, it's necessary. It's what we have to do. But here in, in the Bay Area where I live, it's it still feels like when we first went into quarantine two months ago, which is crazy when you think of the rest of the country and how it's slowly starting to open up. So it's a, it's a little bit more uh, strict over here. What has it been like, you know, obviously still having to do your job, but doing it from inside of your home? What's your setup looking like? Yeah, I mean, I sort of poured my energy into putting up uh, this little in-home studio. It kept me distracted for at least a week. Um, and and I go back and sort of re-edit the things around me and how I have like this frame or not. So um, I didn't do the traditional sort of bookshelf behind me, probably because I don't have as many books as, <laughs> as other folks. Um, but I do have just some pieces that are special to me and then just like cute stuff from target. If I'm honest, like I was trying to put this together, but on a budget as well. So um, it's a mix of a lot of different things. And I know you've been busy doing your YouTube series, calling an audible uh, planning Mm -hmm. your wedding. So how did that kind of come about? I mean, that's super interesting. I've never seen anybody do that. And I loved watching all the videos. Yeah, it sort of just developed organically in just another thing I needed to sort of pour my my efforts into throughout quarantine. So, um, you know, my now fiance proposed the day before the Super Bowl. Um, so it's still really new. But as we were going into discussions on, OK, what do we want our wedding to look like and and where do we want to have it? And just the early stages of it, boom, you know, the quarant- the pandemic happened and everything was shut down. So um Originally, our date was set for several years from now, like two years from now, which wouldn't have been affected really truly by any of this. But we realized perhaps we don't want to wait that long to to make it official and to be you know husband and wife or, or legal partners. So we figured, okay, well, we can still have our big you know reception maybe down the line, but definitely maybe just elope and make it official a little sooner. That all contingent on when the state of California actually opens up. Courts aren't even open yet. So um, we decided in the meantime, um, why don't we have a little fun with our planning and, and stay connected and still bring the sports element into it. So all of these NFL couples have sort of jumped in um, and really helped us out picking different elements of our of our elopement day whenever that ends up being. Um, so it's been a cool way to stay connected and, and stay have some kind of pulse. Um, in the sports world too, when, especially in the NFL, there's very little happening at this moment outside of like virtual um, training programs for the team. So how many more episodes um, can we expect to see? uh, You know, so the funny thing is like when you're planning are less things to sort of check than you would a regular wedding day. Right. And so we've sort of run out of elements in the hands of other people. We do still control over the day. (laughs) it's about us so well I'll, I'll have a couple more just 
bloopers or like best of, but truly episodes, the only one really left is the day um, elope. So that'll be the but TBD on when that'll happen. And with the NFL season, obviously, we're thinking it's going to happen like normal. Do you think that there will be fans there? Or how do you imagine this season looking? I mean, it's tough there specifically where, where we live. Bull can't even like go get a haircut or, you know, go sit at a restaurant. So it's hard for me to pick an area where we're going to drive to Santa Clara and have like thousands of people inside of Levi's, for example. Um, so that will be interesting to me. But it's, you know, it's all on a fluid flowing scale. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or a month from now in terms of the pandemic. So I think it's prudent that you know, we're sort of planning within the league to, to go as normal. But I assure you, there are like 17 different contingency plans, I'm sure, um, for what it could look like um, if fans are not allowed. If fans aren't allowed, how much does that change your job at really mm-hmm. just bringing more content to them? Because the stands now, I always consider uh, uh, um, the eyes and ears for the fans in the stands, right? We have such a different everyone else. That in and of it will likely change because of the restrictions pandemic. Um, but I think it onus lies heavier on us to really do, to relay what's happening in places where people may not be allowed. Um, since we will likely be the only one um, potentially in that scenario. So it's, it's going to really push our storytelling hour um, to bring people there, right? Especially if it's watching from home. Being a reporter working for NFL Network, you've obviously made the jump from local news to going with a network. How different would you say that your job has changed, but also remained mm-hmm. the same because you're still telling stories? Yeah, there's. I mean, all of the skill sets that I learned throughout my local news were invaluable in making sure prepared to make the jump to the network level. Where for me, it's changed is not only the landscape of who I'm speaker audience, obviously, it's nationwide, sometimes internationally, um, since I do so much work with NFL Mexico and the NFL International Group. But um, also, we are the ones who are sort of leading the headlines, right? So we are bringing through our access, things that people perhaps on, on a local level may not be privy to or may not have the access to. So it's for me, it was a little bit more like, okay, this is different. It's on a national. Um, I don't have to be first. Absolutely cannot be wrong. Um, the way I operated, even at the local or regional, for me, I definitely felt a shift knowing that it was on a nationwide scale. Building those relationships when you first started at NFL Network, building of relationships when you're a new person in front of these athletes, how did you do that to get these contacts to hopefully help you get stories? Well, that actually started, so I was already in California before I joined the NFL Network. I was working in Diego um, for two and a half years already, so working between San Diego and L.A., and um, so I, I, I really leveraged a lot of relationships I made there and still connecting with people I had worked with in Miami. So the point of that is it takes a really long time to build not only those relationships, but to garner trust with athletes and with the organizations, especially. Um, you know, not everybody gets a credential. Not everybody gets access to the locker room. Not everybody will get a one-on-one just because they request it. Um, but they look back at your track record and how you've worked with them before and how you've reported before. Um, and just even your demeanor in going to a simple press conference and, and all of that counts. Um, so it takes a really long time for them to sort of vet you and say, 
we can vouch for her or we know that she does know that that she's she's gonna true professional in every sense of the word going in there um and then it's on you able to foster those relationships uh with within the organization so i think a lot of you get handed a mic mic flag on it that you have full access that's there like which microphone you're holding if they don't know you and you haven't established your reputation truly doesn't mean anything how much does it mean to be 100% yourself then and not try to be anybody else so that people see the real you and they feel like they can trust you you know it's because it, so much of this industry on a blueprint of what we've seen before so for me it was so much of my career was trying to fit into this box told that's what I had to do to be successful I just don't think that to be true I think there are very real tenets of the job of journalism that we all have to abide by sort of the part that that gives us our integrity everything else is really on you on your style as a as a journalist um, and what you bring to the table, because there are so many different perspectives that need to be shown that reflect our audience, that reflect even the people that we cover, the athletes and their families that are all equally important. So I stopped trying to fit myself into that box and started creating my own little world. Um, and it's, it's, it's really worked out, um, especially because so many people felt um, when they could hear things through my lens um, and not just my lens as a human, as a, as a minority. Uh, but also just perspectives in in my love for the game. I had listened to an interview that you did when you were at the Super Bowl, and you talked about your hair and how you stopped, like you just let it go natural. You stopped, like you Mm -hmm. said, putting yourself in that box. Do you feel like doing that just made you almost a happier human being, that you stopped trying to be somebody else? 100% did. And it seems sort of, right, I think to most people, like, ah, it's just hair. When you literally have to spend of your day because this is what you're you're supposed to look like or what's acceptable, the standard is, and that who you are organically is not professional or it's not okay, that's whole not only on you professionally, but emotionally on so many different levels. So the second I left, I relinquished that, I felt like a better reporter, like was um, just a more organic human being and I could do my job that much better because it was one less restriction, one less weight on my shoulders. It, it's crazy um, how just a small shift like that can really shift the entire paradigm of your entire world. You're also bilingual and Spanish is your mm-hmm. first language. How much yeah. has that helped? Honestly, I wish I was bilingual, you know, if that's <laughs> one thing I wish, like one of my biggest regrets is not taking Spanish throughout high school and then trying to really learn it to go into the industry. How much has that helped though your career and kind of making your own mark? Tremendously. I mean, you know, I covered when I was at the local level. So when I was very international soccer or baseball of players are international in America, from Mexico, from the Caribbean, the Republic, where my family's from, need a translator. And just not having one barrier between you and or their families or even their organic fans, tremendous. It makes such a difference. Just one of those things, like, it makes people seen. Like, she speaks my language. She, she can hear exactly what I'm saying without it filtered through a translator. That alone is a game changer. Being, though, in Miami for the Super Bowl, obviously, you know, where you did a lot of work and growing up, what was that like to go back and be with a network and be almost this big celebrity to go back there but be in your hometown? I don't know about the celebrity part. 
<laughs> I did love it was it was a circle moment for me without question because I got we walk into Radio Row and the last time I was at Radio Row at a convention center covering a Super Bowl in Miami was 10 years prior at the very beginning of my career where I was an intern for sports radio station so it you know the guys that I worked with back then were there and you could just see how proud they were and they're like we remember you when right um but it it was me just saying wow like this is bold trajectory of of over then just to think of that like it's been a decade of sacrificing I felt uh really validated and to know that my parents were there and it was truly one of the most special career and in my life is this the same time that you ran onto or ran into Deion Sanders? Yes. Who <laughs> is now now my coworker? Yes. So it's it's like full circle. Like it's crazy. Yeah. I literally I was like with a camera. It was like an ancient looking camera, and the tape was like falling out and all were happening. I, I wasn't paying attention and ran right to prime time. Um. So great. I was like, I am so sorry. Like, this, oh, have you Deon. guys ever joked about that? I have, I actually haven't had this conversation with one-on-one, but I can't wait. And then the other was um, Michael Irving. Um, he was there that day when I was working for the radio station back then. And I remember going up to him and talking to him and his producer's radio show. And it leveraged actually an internship with Irv. And so when I first moved to the network, we were chatting and I was like, Irv, you're not going to remember this, like 0% chance, but I was your intern way back at WQAM he's like yes I remember because he was doing the show half from Miami and half from Texas at the time he's like look at God won't he do it I was like yes he will or look at that <laughs> so, that's so cool like, many parallels it's just insane to me but obviously doing the Super Bowl you got to interview Shakira and JLo which is yeah. I'm sure one of like the coolest moments you've ever I'll never get had. over it get over it <laughs> what are they both like are they as nice as they seem Yes, and it's it, I'm it, JLo walked in first, and there's a there's a presence about that one among us, and we are not worthy. It's just real. She walked in, I thought I was gonna faint. And I've interviewed, I used to do inter- interviewed every star you can think of, and short of like Beyonce and probably Oprah and Michelle Obama, JLo was right up the few people that I would actually freak out about. I had to like compose myself for a minute. It was sitting, you know, this is pre-social a foot away from me very very close. I, like, oh, I just want to touch her hair I didn't but you know she is incredible and then Shakira walked in you know they're polar opposites right like Jayla's super glam and Shakira's very like boho chic but could not have been nicer to me and we did the interview English and Spanish I was in there for a good 15 on 20 minutes with the two of them and a full entourage of course but it was one of the most memorable moments in my career how nervous were you for that interview extremely like I cried a little right before I'm not gonna lie <laughs> <laughs> I really did how many questions were you like trying to come up with I know you probably had cards and everything just yeah 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 I mean we vetted you know I obviously these were two women that I have followed very closely throughout their careers um so I knew their backgrounds but I I wonder I I did an even deeper dive and very um we almost had two our international group working on the Spanish interview and then um our content the English language interview so the very very thoughtful interview okay I'm just going to translate the questions from it they were two completely different interviews for audiences and um, I think that's really made impactful that's awesome that's really cool to know that you know how impactful that can be and how just different it is 
uh, obviously I don't speak Spanish, so like I couldn't like watch it and pay attention to what was going on. But to know that, yeah, you know, it's two completely different interviews and not just something, right? You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah. It had to be organic. It had to be um, really purposeful. You know, it, that it was an opportunity that only I come around once in my life, probably. And for us within the league as well, this isn't something you just automatically have access to. So we wanted to make it count. Um, and it was historic, right? To have two Latinas headline, co-headline the Super Bowl halftime show. First time it had ever happened. Um, so it was not lost on me and I wanted to knock it out of the park. And at the end of the day, we were all really, really happy um, with the results and um, how both of the interviews came out. And let alone for it to be in Miami too. The yeah. other content that you got to do, you got to show your hometown of Miami. What was that like to be going on yachts and to be doing backstages and clubs and everything like that? So to be clear, I mean, I did not grow up in Miami. Quite the opposite. I don't think that until way I even moved away from South Florida. But it is a part of the atmosphere there. It's, it's the most visible things I think when people visit Miami. The, the MacArthur Causeway and they're going off beach and, and they see Star Island and the boats sort of lined along there. So it, one of the parts of it that we wanted to show, and of course, you know, it, it's part of the glitz and glam of a city like Miami. They call it the and very rightfully so. So not that I'm or anything, <laughs> but it was fun to be able to show that part of it and also show parts um, that I, I truly remember seeing and really show the Latin influence community in in Miami as well. Now, this wasn't the first Super Bowl you had covered. You had covered another one previously. And I Mm -hmm. saw, so I had YouTubed you to kind of see if there were any bloopers or anything like that. And you actually have a blooper on your YouTube of you at the Super Bowl. And you are talking about like, which station am I doing this for? So, oh my gosh, yes. I don't think people understand how not everybody goes out to the Super Bowl. There's like certain individuals that are able to go out and then you like switch up mic flags, correct? So that particular blooper was because at the time I was working in San Diego and I was were, I was the lead sports anchor for both the NBC and the Telemundo station. It was a duopoly. So we had both stations under one roof and I was the lead sports anchor for both. Um, so I was doing live shots at the Super Bowl in Minneapolis in both stations, in English and in Spanish. And I was like, wait, to back. And we were going back and forth and I did some live shots that day. And I was like, wait a second, am I in Spanish now or am I in English? Like what's... What's, ha- what's occurring? Like, I can't even, I couldn't keep, we're doing so much content and just pumping out some um, in two languages. And this is sort of how my local news experience plays into the network. They were translating one aspect of it in one language to the other. I had to really tailor it for the audience because they were two different audiences. So it was a lot. <laughs> and I really did. I had to ask my photographer, I was like, Dave, who are, which one is this? And then also translate to him you know they're they're speaking amongst they speak to save in english but if there was something happening time quickly everyone's speaking in spanish and i'm like no this is now they're gonna wait until after the break so my brain fried (laughs) truly but it was still a blast and you're already tired right because the super bowl week is just go 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 yes and freezing because it's minneapolis and oh my goodness i thought i was gonna lose a toe i mean it was just horrifically cold to everyone who lives there by choice It's a frozen tundra. I'm not equipped. You're I'm not a soft. cold weather person. MJ's not I'm a cold weather too. person. 
my we left we lived in new york city in washington heights until i was 13 years old before we moved to miami and the reason we left was because the, the winter prior there was such a blizzard we lived on the second floor and the snow basically came up all the way up to our, our at least that's how i as a child remember it. it and my mom was like we're done we're done with these winters this is a miami so that's how that happened so both deep that we're not equipped for cold weather so we're staying warm weather for sure. So if NFL yeah. Network was like, hey, we need you to go to, uh, I guess even here in Denver, Denver can get a little chilly. Are you like, all right, let's do this N- new adventure? Uh, we're going to have to talk deep about that, how much you're going to compensate me for freezing <laughs> <laughs> at this point in my life, right? Like, by the way, Denver many times and um, it is very, very cold. And Colorado Springs, too. Uh, I don't know how y'all do it either. Yeah. Our boy, uh, James, um, uh, Palm for us. He he lives over there, and I don't know how he does. <laughs> I mean, we have sun most of, like most days out of the year, so that does help. But it does definitely get very chilly here. I want to kind of talk to you though about the insider uh, name. So you said that mm-hmm. you don't technically like to call yourself an NFL insider. You like to leave no. that to the Ian Rappaport. And why is that? Well, it's just another level because for me, and, and I think for most people in the biz, when you think insider, thinking of the people who are directly plugged in with this, like, we don't use Rolodexes anymore, but their iPhones are, or their phones are just filled with this like little black book of sources that they have um, really cultivated over decades in the league that will give them information that no one else is privy to. So that's where, to me, that insider monitor comes through, where you can really get access and intel to things that no one else will get. And that's why they're so important, because, I mean, every so often I'll get a nugget or a bone thrown my way. I usually do is call up Ian Pelotero or, or Mike Garofolo, one of our, and really say, hey, like, this is what I'm hearing, what thing? Because they can go ahead and they three seconds and know that they have it for me because that's not really my or even what I do on a regular basis. I'm like, hold up, let me make sure. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting role, but it's very, very particular. So I would never call myself an insider, but I am. And I do have very longstanding and deeper within sort of my space and my circle are just as valuable as well. On Jane's class, uh, she was talking about, you know, getting those stories Mm -hmm. and knowing when it's the right time to share those stories. Uh, she talked right. a lot about like the Des situation, obviously mm-hmm. with the Cowboys. So for you, when do you know if it's kind of a touchy subject, when is an appropriate time to tell that story? I mean, that's where your sort of relationship with that particular player comes into play. So, I mean, I have conversations with guys in the locker room on a daily basis or every time that they let us in there. It's sort of the purpose of going in there um, to the, for me, one of the most important points of going in law room is sometimes I'll have a very specific story in mind that I want to follow up on or that I want to pursue or a certain headline that I need to attack for the day show. But there are days I go to every availability, even on the days where I'm not on air, because that's my opportunity to really be able to establish myself with these guys and to let them know like, hey, I'm not just here to get a soundbite from you. Like I genuinely care how you're doing and your success trajectory uh, within this organization just what you did on game day I want to know what you are um one I'm genuine too we get to see them in a different we'll do when they don't have their helmets on and when they're really just trying to to live their life it's a very it's to be able to go in there and do that and uh, cultivate the relationships with these guys people for human beings they're not just you know x's and o's um so you know tons of stuff that I don't report because I don't think it's appropriate 
And it's something they may have told me in confidence. And then other times I'll straight up ask, are you okay with me sharing or, you know, saying it? There's also, there's always that assumption that when it's media ability, what you're saying is on the record. Right? And then other times they will blatantly tell me, MJ, this is just between you and I. And I, I honor that fully. Even if it's something that huge, it doesn't matter. That's my, it's my responsibility. Um, to be able to to be trustworthy. Have you ever had a producer, somebody say that you need to run with this story and you have to say like, no, I'm not doing this? Um, I mean, at that point, it's like, well, where did they get the information? Because if I told a producer something, it's because I'm okay with sharing it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there are a lot of times where I just, that's it. That was a conversation that I had and it's something that will stay between this person and myself and that's it. And it was just, a, it was just that. It was just a conversation. It wasn't me digging for information. Most guys know when I'm like, hey, I'm working on this today. Like, this is what I'm going to talk about on air because I'll tell them I'm about this, this, and that. And then other times I'm like feeling like you, you really took a hard hit. And like that type of. Diana Rossini did an interview and she said that she literally went up to Sam Darnold and was like, hey, I need your phone number. Uh, and he was like, you need my phone number. And, you know, it was just like, why is he's this young uh, athlete coming out of college? Uh, have you had any instances like that where you're like, yeah, I like, need your phone number in case I ever need to get stories? Like, is that how you're connecting with these players? I operate. I mean, I love Diana so much. It's fearless in that sense. Um, no, this is what it is. Like, I'm a reporter just like any of the other in here. And so we need to link up. Like, let's go. Um, it. For me, I, I just I talk to them within that within the moment, you know, and, and it's worked out for me where I, I don't sort of need to follow up. Or if I do, I do social media and it's fine and it's worked out and they're responsive to me. Most of the guys do follow me back. Um, so I've been able to sort of leverage it in that sense. But for me, I have to really compartmentalize sort of what I do for work in the locker room and, and that far in in that sense um so I don't know I haven't really there are times where we just end up um either linking or connecting a lot of times I know like their friends or their wives or their girlfriends so it's 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 sort of cyclical and it all sort of intertwines one way or another uh are you always on the clock then? Do you feel like, do you always feel like you have to be next to your phone or do you take time for yourself to, you know, just put away your phone, not pay attention to Twitter or the news? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's so annoying, right? Like my both on my iPad for this and I have both my phones right next. There's no need. Like I'm doing, I'm not looking it's right here, like right next to me. It's almost like I don't want to miss something. So on my phone have been very useful because I can sort of see like, okay, this is trend broke. And then I can sort of deep dive into it if I, um, but some days, especially now during scene, I'm like, listen, I just need to not, especially on days I, I know nothing is happening. Like what's me just scrolling there. Um, and, and, and like overstimulation is definitely a thing. Um, oh, during the season, you, my phone is attached without question because I don't want to miss availability. I miss a call from the news desk. So from this to February, yeah, it's attached to me. I do feel that. Like, I, I cannot miss it. Or I can't not be part of the conversation. Gotta be a little nice for your fiancé when you're away, because he probably always knows that you're gonna be able to answer him compared to... Right. Sometimes when you're at home, maybe he's like, okay, put down your phone. He gets it. He totally understands. But even we both check each other, like, all right, enough. Like, yeah. so hey, like, let's go for a walk. Like, we both have to kind of keep each other uh, full in that sense. Um, because subs require us to be engaged um, through our phones. It's so annoying. The social, <laughs> the social media presence, how have you seen that kind of grow along the years of being in this industry? Yeah, I think as the audience grows and more and more on social media and use social media as their point of connectivity and how they get their news, the audience 
um, your personal audience grow. So it, it's interesting. I feel like the bulk of my followers are like Raiders fans, <laughs> to be honest. Because <laughs> so I can see the difference in engagement posting something specifically about the Raiders compared to other teams. Niners now as well, too. Um, for so long, the Raider Nation continues to be sort of like the most vocal and the most engaged um, with my content. It's really, really but you know I moved here I moved to the Bay Area to cover both the Niners and the Raiders um so it, it was in an organic sense what was going to happen because those two teams were my focus um, but then being from Miami I also have a lot of Dolphins fans obviously uh, so it's interesting how that sort of evolved so now that the Raiders are obviously heading to Las Vegas is your sole focus on the Niners no I mean I think the Raiders will definitely still be on the radar they're just such the organization in and of itself um, it's so huge. And I've been, even before I, I got the job with the NBA, though, so I worked um, the Chargers, who, of course, are in the same it's, it was, I always had the Raiders sort of make, um, and I think now just in the transitional, um, it's, it's a self. Um, I'm really, really careful all of this is, is going to play out as a, um, and starter of the franchise. When did you realize that you really wanted to get into the sports broadcasting field? Um, I mean, I've always had my, with sports, my first, like I said, I did sports, um, internship. So that was, was my focus very, very early on but in Miami I did all sorts of things hard news I was a news anchor I did it I did lifestyle traffic anchoring you name it I did it I did it all but it became very very to me um that was what I really wanted to focus on and what I was most about and that I would have to leave um to really be able to get the adequate experience and the rep um, to be successful um and to really hone in on my skills in sports. My new background did help a ton. I mean, especially um, covering breaking news um, within the sports world. Our newsroom is run the same as a, a news station's newsroom. So all of those things really intermixed. But I knew pretty much off the bat that it was just a, a it was a, a mechanism of what was available, right? So like I needed a job and there were a finite amount of sports <laughs> in Miami. Um, so eventually I knew if I, I really wanted this and on this, I had to leave. That was going to be my next question. How much did being in news help you in your job right now? I mean, it's, it's still journalism, actually the same skills and the same properties that we use, we use in sports, um, by the same, by the same, that's in the same, you know, same in tech, the same news gathering things that you would quarter to. So it in my transition as well hosting good morning football you've done that you've done the reporting which one's your favorite do you prefer to be in studio or do you prefer to be out in the field I, I consider myself I always have so I like sort of the two because I don't think there's a substitute for being ground if you will for lack of a better phrase to be game day to be in the locker room, to really feel what these guys are feeling in the moment when they win, they lose, when something happens with the team, when there's a dory, when you feel that tension there. My skills as, as a reporter make me a strong host in the end because I can lean on, I was there, I know how that feels like. If you bring a guy in, um, one of the players in as a guest, remember when, I remember that game, I was there, I was on the sideline or whatever. Or there's like a, a, a level of a foundation, like a commonality there. So um, I love that I've been able to do both. Not only what I, I like, so what I see myself doing in the long run, I always sort of still want to have my in the on-field aspect of it as well. What's your overall dream job or are you living it right now? Living it right now, I think a good, it, the vision came really to the Super Bowl where I was able to both. So I was able to go out and do an and I was able to host shows and I was able to sort of report still a little bit and lean on 
as the Niners were in the Super Bowl and covering them as a reporter for so long, those things to play. So that obviously it's a goal every week, <laughs> but if I could all of those aspects together, like I was, like I, man, I could do that forever. Uh, talking a little bit about thick skin in this industry, mm-hmm. you know, you yeah. kind of said that you got put in that box. How thick a skin do you really have to have as a young reporter I feel like I'm just kind of starting to learn on really just how thick it has to be with the amount of yeah. nose you get. Mm-hmm. I think beyond just the rejection of it, because that's in every industry and in, in every job you'll have, people are going to reject you or not like you or just not, not provide opportunities for you to grow. Um, so I think that that goes across the board, but I think in our industry, because so much of our job is external and it's at the forefront and it's subjective, um, it adds another layer or two or, uh, of intensity for us and seeing your not only mental health, and, but also making sure you have a really strong support to do, hey, this is just part of the grind, find you. Your job is not who you are, you do. So I'm still learning and I'm still navigating through daily basis, especially now where I just have time to and overthink, <laughs> which I should just put on my resume, like expert overthinker, the whole other podcast. Um, but you, you, you learn as you go and you develop that thick, it's like scar tissue. So unfortunately going up time really makes you for the wear in the, in the long run. Uh, but I also think that we're really starting to navigate and address more open the, a lot of the problems you see, not only systemically, but organizations that have me personally to have to develop a thicker, a thicker skin. So um, I'm hoping that people will continue to be outspoken about injustice and inequality within the place um, that will pave the way to, to things being a little bit more level, but we're still real far from that. So um, just know that the things that happen aren't about you, but they're happening for you to build you up into a stronger person. Would you say that you have gotten way more no's than you have yeses in your career? Oh my gosh, absolutely. <laughs> Even before... I was looking for for sort of the next leaving um, San Diego. I must have gone on no less than I don't know anywhere between like eight and eleven interviews. Obviously, NFL Network was the one yes, and every interview there. Oh my God, you're great, and we can see your potential, what you can bring. But you know, there's always at the end, and so it's discouraging. Like you understand why it is, and there are always circumstances, and maybe it's just that you were not for the job. It just doesn't fit. Sometimes it's like, no, girl, you're just not going to fit here or like not the job for you. But um, a heck of a lot of no's before you get right. Yes. Honestly, being a young broadcaster, it was so funny because I was looking up to all of these women who were incredible at their jobs. And I was like, gosh, you know, it must have just been so easy for them. And every single woman I've talked to is always like, no, it was never like that. Like you work your ass off constantly. Mm -hmm. So it's so reassuring to hear that because, you know, you obviously just want to go on like a straight upward path and like make your dream job, but it's never like that. Yeah. Well, and the thing is like, if you're in this, in this industry, if you're in this business, it's because you're a go-getter, because you're ambitious, because you're a fighter. Otherwise, like you wouldn't even make it out of college, right? It's it's just hyper competitive by nature. Um, And so when you have those types of personality traits, 
you have a very clear vision of what you super clear, you know, like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to, that's what we do daily in our jobs, chase store information and get the facts right. So and you still do all that and the end result is control. Um, so that's the tough end. Again, it's subjective. You know, I, they loved me and then suddenly general managers and that one was like, why is this girl like, you know what I mean? And it was literally from, it was such a stark difference and a quick it blindsided me. I was like, whoa, that was lessons this is years and years and years ago not everybody's gonna love you in this bit that's just how it goes and you can't aim to one you can only do the very best that you can and know yourself that you're doing your job correctly um and just hope that where you are is the place for you but it takes time to find and to really get to that point would you say that was one of the hardest no's that you got you know when they're like oh my gosh we love you we can see you in this role and then just to find out that like no yeah well I was in the role I was doing it for a year then they're like, ah, no. Once like the new man came through, they're like, no, this is not the vision we have for this station, which is, which is they're right. They're the boss, you know, but it was just like such a night and day difference that it really, it really affected me mentally and emotionally because I was there. I was doing it. I felt like I was doing a good job. The feedback I was getting was great. And then suddenly it's like, mm, no, not so much anymore. Um, and that's a very, very real part of this business. I actually remember you saying that in Jane's class about how, mm-hmm. yeah, you were in that role and then they just completely knew um, owners came through. And I, what yeah. was that day like for you? I hope I'm not getting too personal, but to just no, not at all. lose a job like that. Yeah. I'm still employed at the time. It was just like, I was completely shifted to a role that I wasn't, you know, I hadn't wrapped and think that's where we were going. You know, there were plans of, of me taking the next step and doing different things. It was a, a real uh, reality. This is this isn't a fantasy. This is you no know, playing dress up every day. These are really real decisions that go way up, um, but that affect you very, very deep, very personally. So it, it was a lesson to remember. I'll never forget this. One of my coworkers um, at that station, who's still a dear friend of me now, of mine now, said, "Listen, you are." you are the entity, right? So it's you, Rachel LLC, let's say. And wherever you're broadcasting now is just the, it's just the conduit, but you have to hone in your skill sets and make yourself the very best that you can while you're there, knowing that what you do and who you are is not defined by the vessel you're in at the time. So you will eventually move on and go somewhere else, um, but don't take it personally. Like it just is what it is. And so once I really wrapped myself my head around that um it's it started to really click lauren gardner um jsb julie stewart banks they have all been doing this like what series on youtube during quarantine and they got what's some of the like worst advice that they've been given and things that you should not do in the industry what would you say is like the worst advice that you've gotten Hmm. not a bad advice let's see which is the worst (laughs) i mean feel free to share all of it because i'm here for all of it (laughs) Yeah, I think I remember someone, I think, genuinely thought they were helping me out um, and did potentially. But I just remember them like saying, you know, some to be aggressive and you even have to be a little slutty at a head. And I was like, thanks so much for the chat. I'm going to go. Like, those were the actual words that were said <laughs> as advice. You're like, um... young junior reporter. And I was like, get all away from me. <laughs> like, no absolutely not absolutely and it was another woman so just to be to be clear oh really yeah this was not a so Mm -hmm. was was she kind of a 
a woman who showed a lot of skin on her own body? No, no, not at all. I mean, she was very high respected, very, you know, like, but I was like, girl, bye. What do you mean? Yeah. No, no. Wow. Absolutely. I kind of feel like most of the time you almost hear the opposite, you know, people are like, mm-hmm. you know, stay buttoned up, stay very Don't tell professional. Me wrong. Men have given me that same advice too, especially early on. But that one in particular, because it came from another woman was like, it, it yeah, it was not not my favorite conversation. Huh. I guess moving on now to more of a positive note on that, mm-hmm. if there was one advice that you could give to young broadcasters that maybe not be out there that they would want to be like, oh yeah, I remember MJ told me this and it's the best advice I ever got. What would you say that would be? Uh, I would say it's just to been to every opportunity. I think now is the landscape of the industry, different paths you can take. Uh, people get a very bad start in like a super small market, things and I'm not saying that that's not valuable because you need a space where you can make your mistakes where you learn but that doesn't always have the same way that it did for everyone else who has taken that path so I think really being open to different career opportunities the digital space digital 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 I'm sure people are hearing that all the time but seriously cannot hear it enough <laughs> if, if porn's nothing it should have been that that digital platforms and web and so are so important right now so but like what you're doing Rachel like just taking taking on yourself to start this series and to start this podcast to create this content is going to be a tremendous aid for you down the line um and possibly immediately like these are the types of things you have to sort of put on yourself um to really do this you have to wait until you get a job to put the reel together, interviews. Um, so I would say that it's just like put the onus on yourself to be really creative and innovative in, in your search um, for the next career step. Well, first of all, thank you so much. That really means a lot coming from you. And I can't thank you enough for spending the last 45 minutes sitting here talking. I think you have so much great um, advice. And I think you have really just shown to be yourself and be natural and your hard work will pay off. It doesn't matter anything else. So thank you again, MJ. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely, Rachel. I'm happy to help. And my team just being consistent and persistent another thing that's really big I think sometimes I do this I'll reach out to someone for an and we'll get like the initial response but then I don't hear from them I don't want to bug them no you got to bug people I know I felt so bad I was like (laughs) I really want her to be featured and I'm like okay I'll reach out like maybe one or two more times because I'm sure your dms are just like flooded a ton of and like good on you because most of the time that it's not like somebody's maybe sometimes there are like eh, kind of blowing you off but like unless you up you don't really know so like just put in the app it really is just such um a small thing that a really long way for you in the end so i'm really proud of that thanks mj i really appreciate it and um hopefully quarantine kind of lifts a little bit in the california area and you're able to have a wonderful nfl season thank you i think but beyond just quarantine lifted i just hope that we can we can really get the the coronavirus contained and that people can live healthier happier lives um that's like the bigger picture thing right and then everything else will fall into place exactly i could not agree more and just keeping everybody as healthy as possible absolutely thank you rachel thanks mj hope you all enjoyed this episode mj was so much fun to talk to she has such a light to her and i feel like the sports world just needs the energy that she brings for the sports and stilettos podcast i'm rachel v hill